So John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31 is our, our text for this morning. And we remember from last week that Jesus' words in this, this section, chapters 13 to 17, are all spoken in the light that, of the fact that he's going away. So, so he is going away. Certainly there is that, that farewell. They're spoken in the light of his going away, but the whole point of his going away is his presence with us. It's a wonderful thing. He goes away so that we can have a sweeter and more intimate fellowship and communion with him. He goes away so that we can know him better. And he ultimately goes away so that one day he might come and receive us to himself. And so the emphasis is not on goodbye or farewell, but on his presence with us now and his coming to take us again to be with him in the future. When the disciples see Jesus, not as they see him now or then, but when they see him in his resurrection power and glory, then they're going to understand what it means that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. Then they'll understand that. No, they're not going to they're not going to comprehend it and be like I can write out the formula for Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus. No, they're going to understand what that means. They're going to understand now that when they see Jesus, they see the Father. That's what they're going to understand. And so as a direct result of that brand new seeing, once you see like that, you start asking for things that you couldn't have asked for before. You start, you start asking things that you'd never have dared to ask for before because it was impossible. You couldn't even ask God for these things before. Now you do because something has happened. You see in Jesus the revelation of God, our Redeemer. And so specifically, the disciples are, are going to do greater works even than Jesus did during the days of his flesh. They're going to ask Jesus for those things. And Jesus promises that whatever they ask in his name, this he will do in and through them. That's fellowship. You see the nature of this fellowship that we have with Jesus? Because he himself says, I will do it. And you will do it. You will do greater works than I did while I was on earth because I'm going to be at the Father's right hand doing those greater works in and through you. And so there's a fellowship that we enjoy with Jesus now that he's gone away. It's a fellowship we couldn't have with Jesus until he went away. It's such a different way. I mean, you know, we're, again, we're used to Jesus being gone, but be the disciples for a moment. You have Jesus with you. In the flesh, right here. You can see him, talk to him, touch him. And Jesus says, I gotta go away so that so that we can have fellowship together. That's what we enjoy today. And so he hears our prayers, he calls us to share with him in the greater works he's doing, 
And so in your handout, we enjoy fellowship with him by asking him to do in us these greater works. But there's another way that we have fellowship with Jesus today. And this is what we come to this morning in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I just have, we gotta, we got to get this clear the air first. Because do we ever read that verse in a kind of a cold and legalistic sort of way? Where, where we read it and we feel it, at least this is the tone of voice. Uh, if you love me, if you really love me, you're going to do everything I say. And you're going to follow all my rules. And sometimes, because of the way we're wired in our sinfulness, that's how we can hear it. And that's technically true, right? It's, it's technically true. But it's also so far away from the spirit and the intent of Jesus' words as not to be true at all. In a sense, it's a lie, what I just said. In a sense. Because we must not divorce, in your handout, the commandments of Jesus from the person of Jesus. But we do that all the time. We do it all the time. Jesus said in chapter 13, a new commandment, I give to you. Do you, you know, that word, I give to you. He didn't say, a new commandment, I lay upon you. Right? He said, a new commandment, I give to you. It comes from his gracious person. That you love one another, even as I, I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are mine. My disciples, if you have love for one another. So let me just say it the other way. If we, if we cannot divorce the commandments of Jesus from Jesus' person, then we can't do the other way around either. We can't divorce Jesus from his commandments. And we, 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 always, are, we always are doing one or the other. We always take the commandments and we see them as a legalistic weight and burden because we forget the person who gave them to us. Or we say, I'll take the person, and then I don't, and then the commandments we, we minimize. We have the per- you can't take the person without his commandments. We can't do that. How is it then that we enjoy fellowship with Jesus? Because we, we fellowship is this, what is fellowship with Jesus? Well, it's simple. How do we do that? You want to know how? Here's the answer. By keeping the commandments that he himself gave us. Now, if you keep the commandments as just a list of rules, independent of the one who gave them to us, obviously we won't comprehend that. That won't make any sense. So, why is it true? Why is it true that if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments? The reason is this. Because the path of Jesus' commandments is the path Jesus himself walks in. Where is Jesus? He's in the path of his own commandments. That's where you find him. The path of Jesus' commandments is the pathway of fellowship with him because that's where he 
is. It's the pathway of knowing his presence with us. Are, we, are you able then to see the, his commandments in a beautiful light? When we think of commandments, we usually think of, of a list, and there are lists. Let's, let's be clear, right? I mean, there's the Ten Commandments. That's a list. God gave us a list. It's, it's, it's there. But we usually only think of a list of ethical commandments, like the Ten Commandments, like love one another, like flee from immorality, these kinds of things. And that's not wrong, but here in John... There's another way to think of Jesus' commandments. So Jesus said in chapter 12, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak from myself, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Now, if Jesus is speaking his commandment, then what is Jesus' commandment to us? Eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So, think about it like this. The commandment, singular. There's one commandment that Jesus has given us is the command to believe in him and therefore to have life, eternal life, in him. The commandment is believe. And in believing, come to have life eternal in me, Jesus says. That is his commandment to us. And then all of the commandments, plural, that Jesus has given us, they are all of them rooted in that single gospel commandment. They're rooted in his own saving and redeeming person. So if Jesus ever says to me, uh, you know, love, Timothy, love your brothers and sisters, flee from immorality, what do I hear in those commandments? I hear the way of fellowship with Jesus. I hear the way of communion with a person. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. There's, I, you know, there is a commandment. But take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if we love Jesus... If we would have fellowship with him, then we will keep his commandments. Because the way of his commandments is the way where he is. It's it's who he is. And so it's the way of fellowship with him. But this fellowship is not something that we initiate. Like, okay, I will, have, I will go have fellowship with Jesus. I will keep his commandments. I will do it. No, we don't initiate this. Ultimately, it is Jesus who, because of his love for you, 
because of his love for us, made this fellowship possible. So what Jesus goes on to say in verses 16 to 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Okay, what's an advocate? The ESV, the New American Standard, translate helper. Some of the older translations have comforter. Now, if you have two such different translations as comforter and helper, you can get a pretty good idea that the Greek word is rich. It really cannot be summed up in in a sense in one word. I think advocate is the best. Advocate, an advocate can help, he, he comforts, but he does more than that. An advocate is someone who advocates for a cause. So if I advocate for something, I'm in support of that thing. Um, I could advocate for an idea. I could advocate for a thing or even for a person. If I advocate for you, I'm behind you. I'm in your camp. I'm for you. And so I fight for you in not just by comforting you, not just by helping you. That's, I think, too vague. It's fighting for something, for someone, in every way that could ever be needed, that could ever be necessary. That's the advocate. And so while, while Jesus was with his disciples, he has been their advocate. He's been with them, fighting for them, backing them, supporting them, Protecting and guarding them. We see that in John 17. While I was with them, I was keeping them. I was their advocate. I was advocating for them. I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. But now Jesus is going away. Okay, he's going away. And so he promises that he's going to send his disciples Another advocate. Now, just just listen to that word. How can Jesus say, I'm going to send you another advocate? What a wonderful thing. And to be with them, he says, forever. I just want to stop and say, before we even know who that advocate is, isn't it good to know, just by faith, that Jesus said he was going to do that? And he did it. But is this other advocate a replacement for Jesus? Like, okay, once the new advocate gets here and is with us, then Jesus, who has gone away, is no longer relevant. Because we've got an advocate now. The, other, the old advocate is gone, now we've got the new advocate. Is that, is that what this is about? Notice how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Now later he'll say the Holy Spirit. There's a reason he says the Spirit of truth here. Just a few verses earlier, he said in verse 6, I am the truth. 
So the work of the Holy Spirit in advocating for you, for you, I mean, that's why I love that word advocate, right? He's advocating for you. And that work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and advocating for you is wholly bound up with the person of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Okay. So it's not like Jesus has disappeared from the scene. Far, far from it. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to you and to me to be with us forever, will advocate for us, fight for us, be in our camp, right? By, by doing this, by bearing witness to Jesus in our hearts. By bearing witness to the truth that he is and the truth that he has spoken, including what? His commandments. His commands. And so it's in this way that the spirit of truth will support you and help you and instruct you and teach you and remind you and convict you and strengthen you and comfort you. All of those words and more could be used And this is in this way that he will otherwise advocate for you in every way you could ever, ever need. By always bearing witness in your heart to the risen Lord, to Jesus who is the truth. Including to his commandments. And remember, it's by walking in the way of his commandments that we have fellowship with him. So on the one hand, now let's consider this, this advocate. The, The spirit has been spoken of before in John, but this is where we really get the Holy Spirit. This other advocate is personally distinct from Jesus and from the Father. Listen to the language of Jesus. I I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. On the other hand, we have this personal distinction. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then notice the emphasis on seeing him and knowing him. Does that language sound familiar from here, right even here in chapter 14? The world does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now that should remind us of verses 7 and 9. If you have come to know me you will know my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I just want to ask you this question. Okay, when when Jesus speaks of seeing and knowing the spirit of truth, 
In the same way that he speaks of seeing and knowing the Father and seeing and knowing the Son, what does that tell us? He's speaking of of one who is co-equal with the Father and with the Son, and therefore of the same undivided essence and being as the Father and the Son. One undivided God with personal distinctions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just fancy theology. That's not just to be fancy theology. This is what makes the Spirit's advocacy for you so unfailingly effective in your handout. Because it's, it's because of who the Spirit is, God, that his advocacy for you never fails to be effective. Never fails. Let that fill you with hope, with confidence, peace. If to see And to know Jesus is to see and know the Father. What does it mean to see and know the Spirit of truth? Who, who, Jesus says, abides with us and is in us forever. Well, we see, if we put it all together, that it must be through this this abiding, this indwelling of the Spirit of truth in us, that we come to enjoy communion, fellowship with the triune God. Not not just with the Son, not just with the Father, not just with the Spirit, but with the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see this in the fact that it's the Son who asks the Father to give the Spirit. It's the abiding, indwelling Spirit of truth who is communicating to us the presence of our risen Lord. Jesus went away, but he sent the Spirit to communicate his resurrected, powerful presence to us so that we might see him. And so that we might know him. And in seeing and knowing him, so that we might see and know his father. And so that we might enjoy fellowship with him by walking in the way, or as the psalmist we saw says this morning, by running in the way of his commandments. Because that's where he is. Fellowship. The Christian life is about fellowship. It is not just about what we do, but we see that the two are intimately bound up together. And I'll just just say this, and if we don't already have some experiential knowledge of these things. If we don't if there's not a part of us that says, Yes, I know what you're talking about, 
then there's no way for us to really get this. It's impossible. It's like this is a foreign language. But to the extent that we have experienced these things, and not perfectly, far from it, I mean, I've been reading this and and longing for more. But to the extent that we do know what Jesus is talking about, we'll be enabled all the more, then, to enjoy true fellowship with the triune God. In and through the Holy Spirit, who abides with us and is in us forever. We'll be enabled all the more to love Jesus and experience his presence with us by walking in the way of his commandments. So Jesus continues, verses 18 to 20. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will, also, you will live also. On that day, you will know that I am in the, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, this is one of those places in John where we might start to get confused. What is Jesus talking about? What is this coming when he says, I will come to you? How is he coming? Is this like the, the coming and like the Spirit's coming? Is this coming when he'll come at the last day when he appears in glory? Or is this, I will come to you after my resurrection? It's the third. It's, I will come to you after I'm raised from the dead. I will appear to you. I will come to you physically. I will, I myself, he says, I will come to you. Because I live, you will live also. So, here's the thing. Now watch this, because this is how we get this. The importance of Jesus coming to his disciples. Why does Jesus emphasize, I will come to you? Well, that's going to be the proof of his resurrection. If Jesus never showed himself to his disciples after he was raised, why should they believe he was raised? Right? God sent Jesus to his disciples after after his resurrection so they would see he's not dead. He's alive. It's going to be the proof that not only that he lives then when he comes to them, but that's going to be the proof that he lives forevermore now at God's right hand. So Jesus appeared to them only a few times, but that was enough for them to know he's alive and he's alive forevermore and so that when he leaves them, he's still alive. He is even now at God's right hand. In other words, it's this. When Jesus says, I will come to you, we kind of think, oh, I will come to you, and the comfort is, I'll never leave you again. No, that's not the point. He's not saying that, I will come to you and stay with you forever. He's saying, I will come to you, and you will know I'm alive forevermore. You will know that I'm not dead and that you are not left as orphans. Because I am not in the grave. How can you see there's a sense in which these words apply only to the original disciples? And to a select few in the first century uh, others. So in John 20, we see Jesus come to them using the same Greek word. While it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, 
And while the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Jesus came to those original disciples, but he did not come to you. He did not come to you. He did not come to me. So we have to be careful, as we're about to see. When we read these chapters, everything has some application to us, but Jesus was not talking to you and me. Oftentimes he talked about us, and so in that sense talked to us, but he was specifically addressing that original group of his disciples. And there are some things he says to them that he could not say to you and me. Now when we understand then that Jesus was not saying he would come to us, what does that mean? Does that mean that, well then I guess I have been left as an orphan. Jesus didn't tell me he'd come to me, he didn't, and he didn't come to me, he came to them, so I am an orphan. Is that what that means? No. It's because Jesus came to those original disciples after his resurrection that we know today he has not left us as orphans because he came to them, because he's alive. Because he conquered and triumphed over the grave, he is not dead. And so because he came to them, I know I am not left as an orphan. Because he came to those original disciples, we know today that he is now in his Father. And you know what that means? Now it means that we are in him and he is in us. See the emphasis on fellowship again that we have with him, even after he's gone away. And notice the way Jesus describes this fellowship. Now in verse 10, Jesus said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now Jesus, unbelievably, says, now it's not the same way, but he uses the same language, we are in him, and he is in us. Do you believe that? Do you believe what he said? We know this is true. Why do we know this is true? Because we know he lives. That's why. And because he lives, we live also. So we must have fellowship with him. We know this is true because he lives, and because he lives... The spirit of truth is with us forever. He abides with us and is in us. And lastly, we know this is true because believing these things, in other words, this is not just some mystic feeling that we we have, not rooted in any truth. No, but because we believe these historic facts, therefore we've experienced And we are invited to experience always more and more this fellowship, this communion with 
him. So Jesus continues in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You know, at some level, you stop needing to unpack things, and we just read and meditate and believe and thank him. Notice notice now, though, how Jesus all of a sudden has changed from the second person. He's been talking to his disciples, you, you, you. Now, all of a sudden, he changes to the third person, he. So he's casting a wider net now. He's he's casting a wider circle, and he's specifically including you. The one who has Jesus' commandments, do you have them? Not just the one who knows them, the one who has them and keeps them is the one who loves Jesus because that's where Jesus is. It's the way of fellowship with him. Which is why Jesus goes on to say, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I thought of the words to the hymn we'll sing in a a few minutes, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. How does Jesus love us? Well, he loves us. We could answer that in different ways, but he answers it. He says, I will disclose myself to you. That's how he loves you, by disclosing himself to you. And how does Jesus disclose himself to us? How does he do that? He asks the Father to give us another advocate, the Spirit of Truth, who abides with us and is in us. But don't think that the Father is sitting there, well, I, did, I really didn't want to give the Spirit. I really didn't want to send an advocate. But because you asked me, I will. No, the Father is not a reluctant or a neutral party in these things. The Father, too, Jesus says, loves us by giving to us the Spirit of truth for the sake of his Son. So Jesus loves us by asking the Father to give us the spirit of truth. The Father loves us by giving to us this advocate for the sake of his Son. And we know that the Spirit loves us too. Because he always advocates for us. How can you advocate for someone you don't love? And so in your handout, I just put the word, Truly, Jesus has not left us as orphans. We are loved by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Judas 
not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? See, Judas is still thinking of Jesus showing himself in power and glory and judgment at the last day. And so he's like, how are, how, how are you going to do that and not show the whole world? And then he thinks something must have gone wrong. What's happened? That you're going to show yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Goes back to that again. So this disclosure Jesus is talking about is this disclosure of fellowship, of communion. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus isn't saying to Philip, Philip, you got it all wrong. I'm never going to show myself to the world like you're thinking. No, he will one day. But he's just trying to help Philip see that's not the, showing, the kind of showing I'm talking about. I'm talking about a showing that's the kind only, only possible for people who love me, who keep my word. The, 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 the showing I'm talking about is the kind where I and my Father come to you and love you. And we make our dwelling with you. That's the showing he's talking about. The only other place in the New Testament that that word for dwelling is used, it's only two times in the entire New Testament, and the other time is right here in this chapter. When Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And what do we learn from this? That fellowship that you look forward to, in our future dwelling with him can be already enjoyed today because the Father and the Son have already come and made their dwelling with us. We look to a day when Jesus will come and receive us to himself, to those many dwelling places in where he is. But yet even now, the Father and the Son, through the Spirit who dwells in us, have come and they have made their dwelling already with us. Now, if, if all that happens this morning is we get a brand new picture for what in the world Christianity is, well, that's what we needed. I've been challenged this week that, that I don't even know what Christianity is. That sounds, that's maybe an extreme, but that's how it feels sometimes when I begin to grasp the heights of what Jesus' will and desire is for me and for us. To keep Jesus' word and obey his commandments is not only to walk in the path of fellowship with Jesus, but to walk in the path of fellowship with the Father, because, as Jesus says, 
The word that he has spoken is not his, but the Father's who sent him. So I already just said this, I already answered it, but let me ask you, you think about it, you answer these questions. One, let me ask you, how does the risen, living Jesus disclose himself to you? How do Jesus and his Father come to you and make their dwelling with you? How is it that we can have Jesus' words and keep them? And the answer to all those questions is this. Jesus asked the Father, and the Father has given us another advocate, the Spirit of Truth, who abides with us and is in us. Now Jesus switches again from the third person back to the second person. So when you're reading through these chapters, you want to watch for that. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, now he's talking more specifically to those original disciples. I want to be careful how I claim all of this for myself. We have to be careful how we do that. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Clearly, that can only apply to the original disciples. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, do you get the sense that we're a little bit now on the outside looking in? Because, the whole, let's just be clear, the Holy Spirit cannot bring back to, to your remembrance the things Jesus said to you when he was abiding with you. Because he never was abiding with you and he never did say anything to you. This is uniquely Jesus with his disciples. Now, it, it, now what's the importance then of knowing that Jesus made this promise to those original disciples. Like, okay, if that's his promise to them and it's not a promise to me, what do I really care about it? Well, (laughs) we care a lot because the answer is in the fact that today we can read and we can preach through John's gospel. After, I mean, think about it. Do these disciples, have they really kind of come across to us as being incredibly rocket scientists, smart people? I'm not, in, in terms of grasping the things Jesus said and talked about. Oh my goodness, they're still asking them questions. Like, what's happened? What's gone wrong that you're going to show yourself to us and not to the world? They just don't get stuff. Date on the calendar, partly. But they were also just slow to learn, to see. How is it possible that one of these same disciples should be the author of this gospel? How is that even possible? The answer is only because the Holy Spirit came and taught the disciples all things and brought back to their remembrance all the things when they were walking with Jesus that Jesus said to them when he was with them and he gave them understanding 
And we see the fruits of that work of the Spirit in the Gospel of John that we go through here today. Now the Holy Spirit then performed that unique work for those original disciples, not just for their sake, but for the sake of all of us. Why? So that we too can know the things Jesus said, so that we too might have his commandments and keep them so that we too might walk in fellowship with him. That's why we ought to read our Bibles. The advocate who brought to the original disciples, now here's now here we go, because now here we apply this. That advocate who brought to the original disciples' remembrance all that Jesus said to them when he was with them, he's the same advocate that's, that Jesus said is in you and with you. What does that tell you about what he must be doing in and with us today? He's enabling us to understand the things we read, to walk in obedience to Jesus' word. Why? So we can have living fellowship with the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now often we come to the next verses and we only, we quote the next verses because they're in a sense our favorites. But we cannot understand the full depth and beauty and meaning of the next verses unless we've worked through what we've worked through already this morning. So now we're ready, only now are we ready, to understand these words. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. The same Jesus who gives us commandments, right? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. You're you're troubled because I'm going away. Don't be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. I will live again after death. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. We're like, wait a minute, if I love you, I'm not happy if you go away. If I love you, I cling to you and keep you here with me. And Jesus says, no, if you loved me, you would rejoice I go away. Because here's the problem. The disciples don't yet love Jesus as they should. And here's why. Because they're clinging to Jesus only as they know him in the flesh. That's the only Jesus they've known. And that's the Jesus they cling to and they're content with. Jesus says, if you're content with me in the flesh, you don't yet love me as you should. We remember how Mary clung to Jesus when he was raised from the dead, not willing that he should ever, ever be parted from her again. So here's the mystery and the wonder. The disciples don't desire yet the truer. That's the key word. The truer fellowship that they will have with Jesus after he has gone away to the Father. 
and been glorified in him. You can see what they're thinking, right? They're thinking, we have fellowship with you now, Jesus. Stay here. We're happy now. And Jesus says, no, you don't have true fellowship with me yet. Not the ultimate, wonderful, good fellowship that I have in plan and in store for you. You can only get that fellowship with me after I've gone away to the Father. They haven't yet desired the fellowship that they're going to enjoy on that day when Jesus has asked the Father to give them another advocate to abide with them and be in them forever and to to communicate to them the presence of the risen and glorified Christ. In your handout, they haven't yet desired the far more wonderful fellowship that they'll have with Jesus after he's gone to the Father. And they have come to know that they are in him and he is in them. But they will soon. Soon they will. And then when that happens, instead of grieving, what, what are they going to do? Who ever rejoiced that someone they loved went away? Well, the disciples did. And we do. And we rejoice that he's coming back. In going to the Father, Jesus opened the way. In going away, Jesus opened the way for the triune God himself. Father, I don't want not, you might tell, oh, yeah, I, I know the persons of the Trinity. No, let's not be flippant with this, right? He, he opened the way for the triune God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come and make his dwelling with us. So, question. Do we rejoice that Jesus has gone to the Father? Are we walking in the way where Jesus is? is are you walking where Jesus is? in the way of his commandments? And are we therefore enjoying sweet fellowship with the triune God? What is Christianity? Jesus concludes, And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. In other words, so that when it happens, you may love me truly and rejoice. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming in his suffering and death and the cross. And he has nothing in me. He has nothing on me, over me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. And so Jesus goes. Where does he go? He goes now to meet the ruler of this world, 
who is coming. Jesus doesn't run from the ruler of this world. Jesus goes to meet the ruler of this world. And because the ruler of this world has nothing in him, Jesus goes to triumph over him in the cross. And why does he do that? Well, he does it, first of all, because he loves the Father, and he does exactly as the Father has commanded him. But, but why did the Father command that? Why did he come to do battle with the ruler of this world? Why, did, why is this? He does this because this is the Father's plan to bring us all into fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you take your holy word these marvelous, truly unspeakable truths and, and, and work them in us. Work, work as we apprehend the mercies of God, the, the beauties of, of your redemption. Work in us repentance. Work in us enlarged hearts as the psalmist says, that delight to run in the way of your commandments because that is the way of fellowship with you. Lord, may we we praise you for the advocate who advocates for us unceasingly, even now, in every way that we could ever possibly need. And thank you that this work of advocating for us is summed up at all times in witnessing to the risen Christ. Thank you for fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, help us as individuals to never separate between fellowship and commands, between between the Christian life, which is a life at one level of duty, and yet a life of, of delighted duty to one who has come and made his dwelling with us. Oh, we pray now that you prepare our hearts through these things to take of this meal and, in, and even as we eat and drink, may we enjoy this sweet communion and fellowship with you as those walking in your commands. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.